Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. All right, guys, where we are in we are in Revelation Revealed tonight. This is part 15, and we are looking at chapter 10. So it's great to see all of you and your young life people, young lifers. You could be dismissed with Brendan and Lizzie and Logan and whoever's back there. Okay. We're at Revelation Revealed, part 15. This is chapter 10. I want to do a little review and introduction. Before I do that, let me say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your word. Pray that you would speak to us tonight, God. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. And I am looking so forward to this weekend with the Bechtons. It will be an outstanding weekend. Not only the Friday and Saturday, but Sunday is going to be off the chain. And I've already prepped him. I said, Brother Ronnie, you got to preach twice. you got 28 minutes, and it's back-to-back, baby. And so he's, he's all fired up. He's ready for it. You will love this couple. We're very excited about them being here. And I believe God's going to move and use them. And so what an awesome time it would be for you to invite somebody out. Take a card. Invite them. Say, welcome home. You belong here. This is, this is where you need to show up. This Sunday, I'll take you out to eat. I'll, give you, uh, I'll buy you some coffee. Like, just come to church with me. I mean, this would be a great Sunday to do that. And you got two service options. You can come to the 9 or you can come to the 1045. I love it. All right, so last time we looked at the importance of what is known as Daniel's 70th week from Daniel 9. While in Babylonian captivity, Daniel had been reading the book of Jeremiah. So here's a Bible character reading a book of the Bible. And he came across chapters 25 and 26, 27, 28, and he read about 70 years. And he began to pray and seek God while he's in this Babylonian captivity as to the meaning of the 70 years. And after three weeks of waiting, Gabriel shows up with a message concerning the 70 years and, and explained to him how that it meant so much more than just their being in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Daniel came to understand that a day represented a year, so seven days represented seven years. Got to pay attention here. Seven days represented seven years. And we looked at a chart last time. Let me get that chart back up on the screen. This is from David Reagan and Lion and Lamb Ministries, whom I have followed for many years. So while I read, you can look at that chart and kind of follow me. Daniel 9, 24, and 25. You don't have to put that on the screen. I'm just going to read this to you. Listen, Daniel 9, 24, and 25. This is what Gabriel is saying to Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So what is seven 
and 62 added together. You don't have to. It's not a deep theological question. It's, it's, it's 69, right? So, so you've got 69 weeks of years. And so 69 times 7, 70, 70 weeks, those are a day is a year. So 69 times 7 years is 483 years. So keep that in mind. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So from the edict of Artaxerxes, which you can see on the screen, which was the beginning of the rebuilding of Jerusalem until its completion was one week of years or 49 years. And then from the completion of Jerusalem until Messiah was born, you've got 62 weeks of years or 434 years. This gets very technical. But it's interesting to me because it's prophesied down to the very day. Like, to the very day. Verse 26 says, After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Shall be cut off. But not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. So at the end of four... Of the 434 years, Jesus would be cut off. That's saying he would be crucified. Again, this is prophesied down to the very day. We've looked at this in some of our other studies, but he was crucified on the very day that had been prophesied and had been known throughout eternity. So here we are, we've covered 483 years. And to get to 490 years, 70 weeks of seven, we've got one more week of years to go. And that week of years, that seven-year period of time, is called the Great Tribulation. Are you following me? So, notice this in verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, so this is that last week, but in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So, with this in mind, and where we've come so far, follow me with this. The rapture occurs. The Antichrist is revealed. Remember we saw this in Revelation 6 with the first horseman that came. Revelation 4, you have the rapture. Revelation 6, the first horseman comes, the Antichrist. And that prophetic clock begins to run again. There was this gap. It was stuck. I mean, it's all in God's control, but he doesn't get the weeks counting again until... The final seven years, and this Daniel 70th week, uh, until the great tribulation. Now, the Antichrist comes, and right off the bat, the Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant with many, Daniel said. Gabriel saying this to Daniel. So he confirms this covenant, which is a treaty. He's promising peace. He comes with peace, and you remember when men cry out peace, sudden destruction comes. And in the middle of the week, or three and a half years into the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will bring an end, it says, to sacrifice 
an offering. And we're going to Revelation again tonight, but I need to say this right here. He's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So what in the world does that mean? How would he bring an end to sacrifice and offering? Well, by this time, the third temple, the first temple was Solomon's temple. The second temple was Zerubbabel's temple, which was expanded and known as Herod's temple as well. But it was destroyed in 70 A.D. And the Jews, Israel, Jerusalem, has had no temple since 70 A.D. But there will be a third temple constructed. We looked at this. There's this thing called the Temple Institute. There are other organizations who have planned and, and made progress towards and are ready for the building of the third temple. So when the Antichrist comes, there will already be a third temple that is built and sacrifices and offerings. That's why the Jews do not make sacrifices and offerings. Now we understand the sacrifice has already been made in Christ Jesus, the Lamb slain. And that's the point. When Messiah comes, when Shiloh comes, Messiah, another name for Messiah, when Messiah comes, there's no need for sacrifices and offerings anymore. But to the Jews, they didn't recognize Jesus as their Messiah. So that you would think they would be making sacrifices and offerings now for atonement with a priesthood. But they don't. You know why? They don't have a temple. And that's the cry of the Jew, Jewish people, give us a temple. We want a temple. We want to offer sacrifices. We want the religion that we adhere to reinstituted. So they're waiting on that. They're longing for that. They're pushing for that. And so there will be a third temple. I'm telling you, there's going to be a third temple. And, and the sacrifices, when the temple is built, I think we underestimate the gruesomeness of what took place in the temple. There were rivers of blood that flowed out of the temple because there were so many sacrifices being made. We got the stench of death back here because an animal died in the wall. But, you know, the stench of death back here from an animal that got in the wall... Well, you look at thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals being slaughtered religiously, meticulously by a priesthood at the temple and the, the sun's bearing down. You talk about a stench. And can you imagine the activists? Can you imagine PETA is going to go crazy? Animal rights activists, I mean, you're going to have that sad music coming on your television. And you're going to have that slow-mo of a little lamb being led to the slaughter. And they're like, in Jerusalem, every day, thousands. Please give. Can you imagine? For, for real, Sarah McLaughlin's playing beautiful music in the background, you know. The heart angel. Ooh, 
You know what I'm talking about, those commercials. And the little lambs shaking, you know. I'm just saying, let's put it in context with the real world. So they're, they're just killing these animals. They're like, praise God, glory to God in the highest, you know. Uh, just praising the Lord. And the world is freaking out and cannot handle the brutality and the reality of what's going on in that temple. And so they're crying out. And so three and a half years into this seven-year period of time, which three and a half years is quick, y'all. The older I get, the quicker it is. We've been in this building that long. You know that. Three and a half years, just boom, just like that. Three and a half years into the seven years, peace treaties are being made, economy's booming, and the pressure is on the Jews, the Jewish nation, to stop the sacrifices. The only way for the sacrifices to stop is for Messiah to come. It's the perfect setup. Antichrist is already on the scene. The church is already gone. Uh, Satan is, is in, a, in a, uh, his last-ditch effort to stop God's plan from coming to pass. And so Antichrist walks into this third temple and says, you can stop the sacrifices now. I mean, with CNN rolling, Fox rolling, BBC rolling, Al Jazeera rolling, all the cameras are upon him. News conference. He's like, you can stop the sacrifices. I am. It's blasphemy. I am. He declares to be the I am. I am has come. I am your Messiah. And they're blown away. Wow, Messiah has come suddenly to his temple. And all the prophecies that related to Jesus Christ, they start throwing onto him. Wow, here he is. We, we finally have gotten the one. And if you'll remember back in the day, the reason they didn't accept Jesus is because he didn't come to do what they thought was needed, and that was to politically overthrow the Roman government. And so here he comes in, and he's powerful, and he's coming in strong. He's going to dominate the world. And that day would come, but it's going to come after the sacrifice. See, Jesus Christ came to lay down his life. Antichrist ain't laying his life down. He's the opposite. He's the antithesis. He's the antichrist. And so with the news cameras rolling, he comes in and claims to be Messiah, and that stops the bloodshed. This is the abomination that Gabriel is talking about. Jesus Christ mentioned this same abomination that will take place in the future. In Matthew 24, 15. Paul spoke of exactly what I just shared with you in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. This son of perdition walks into the temple. There hasn't been a temple since 70 A.D. He walks into this temple, this third temple, and declares himself to be God. Are you with me? Now, it's all going to go south from here, okay? And you're going to end with the Battle of Armageddon. But that's not where we are right now. We are in the book of Revelation. Last time we looked at the parallel between Joshua and Jesus coming back, that was awesome stuff. If you didn't catch that, go listen to last time, the podcast. It's fascinating. The Greek mind looks at prophecy like this. Predict, and then it comes to pass. Predict, and then it comes to pass. But the Jewish mind looks at prophecy in the sense of patterns, feast days, holidays, festivals, types, shadows, patterns. And in the Hebrew Bible, Joshua was the first book considered to be the prophets, the law and the prophets. 
It's, it's a prophetic picture. The book of Joshua is of Jesus coming back to this earth. Now, we left off with the sounding of the sixth trumpet, and we now have a pause, an interlude, a parenthesis, until chapter 11, verse 15, where the seventh trumpet sounds. So we are in the 10th chapter, verse 1. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? D.H., teaching prophecy at LifePoint. I love it. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, we have seen some powerful angels in the book of Revelation. Because of the description of this particular angel, some have suggested that this is Jesus Christ himself. However, the Greek that is used here for the word another suggests otherwise. There are two words in the Greek that can be translated another, allos and heteros. In English, we can't make the distinction with one word that is possible in the Greek language. Chuck Missler pointed this out to me. For instance, if I say, I want another pencil, you don't know if I want one just like the one I have or if I want one that's totally different. I just say, I want another pencil. There's no distinction there. But in the Greek, allos means another one just like the other one. And heteros means another one totally different from the other one. So the word that's translated another in chapter 10 here is allos, another one just like the other one. So I believe this is another mighty angel like the other ones we've already seen. And because this angel is acting on Christ's behalf, this angel is vested with great power and authority. And, and that's why we see attributes like those of Jesus, clouds, feet like fire, face shining, etc., on this particular angel. This angel comes down from heaven. That would be comes down from heaven to the earth, as we'll see in verse 2, and was clothed with or surrounded by a cloud. This indicates the glory of God, the, the Shekinah. We saw this on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. We saw this at the Ascension. We saw this back in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. We saw this with the giving of the law. And we know that angels were involved in the giving of the law, not just Jesus or the Lord riding on a stone. Angels were given uh, to administrate the giving of the law. The book of Hebrews says, so we, we see the, the glory of the Lord, the glory cloud of the Lord. And this angel also has a rainbow on his head, and his face is shining like the sun. Rainbows signify covenant. You know, back in Noah's day, the idea was, I won't destroy the earth with water in, again, you know, so you have the rainbow, a sign of the covenant, and we saw a rainbow around the throne in our study of Revelation earlier. Rainbows also are the result of light shining through a cloud, and here we have plenty of light, we have clouds, glory clouds, so it's no wonder that we have a rainbow. His feet were like pillars of fire, again, speaking of the glory of God. Remember, it was a pillar of fire that led the children of Israel. Pillar of fire by night. So here you have this idea of the, the glory of God. Verse 2. He had a little book in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So the angel has this little book, 
that was open in his hand. Some have speculated that perhaps this is the scroll that Jesus was, you know, taking the seals off of, the one that was the title deed or the lease to the earth. But if you'll remember, nobody was worthy to open it except Jesus. Some have said that's why they think that angel is Jesus, but I don't think so. I believe this is a different book and not Jesus. Again, I I believe this is an angel. Now, I don't know exactly what this book is, and I would not pretend to know what it is. It could be a Cliff's Notes version of what was written on that scroll, maybe a summary of it. But perhaps, and this is where I lean, it's an outline of the judgment that is about to be released on the earth. It's the assignment of this particular angel who has come down. John Wolford says, The contents of this book are nowhere revealed in Revelation, but they seem to represent in this vision the written authority given to the angel to fulfill his mission. Adam Clark says, It's probably some design of God long concealed but now about to be manifest. The fact that the angel set his foot on the land and one foot on the sea indicates that he has complete authority over all the earth, land and sea. Verses 3 through 5. And this angel cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Again, that's Christ-like, you know, the lion from the tribe of Judah. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. Now, before we get into that verse 5, let's talk about this loud voice like a lion's roar. According to the Smithsonian's a Smithsonian Institute, a lion can roar up to 114 decibels. That's about 25 times louder than a gas-powered lawnmower. 25 times. Think about that. You know, I've got friends who live in Africa, and they talk about hearing that lion's roar across the Serengeti. Just powerful, strong, 25 times louder than a gas-powered lawnmower. That is very, very loud. So the angel cries out, but the text does not indicate that he says words. It just says he cries out like like a wail, like a lament, Uh, maybe because of the judgment that's coming. But when he cries out, seven thunders utter their voices. So let's talk about these seven thunders. If they hit in succession seven times over, boom, 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 you would, you know, that would take some time. Like the, the, the boom, the clap of thunder, and the subsequent rumbling. To me, it, it doesn't look like they all hit at the same time, but in sequence. And so a clap of thunder hits at about 120 decibels. That's 10 times, think about it, 10 times louder than a jackhammer. You ever been walking down the street and you hear the jackhammer? We had a jackhammer, a hammer jack, whatever, a hammer, one of those things, back here at LifePoint in the early days. 
Ten times louder than that? I mean, you wear ear protection for a jackhammer. Ten times louder than that? Again, very, very, very loud. So the seven thunders uttered their voices, and the text does indicate that they communicated words, a message. So the angel cries out like a lion. And when he does, seven thunders come right behind it very, very loudly, and they say words. Now, throughout the Scripture, God's speaking is often compared to thunder. Psalm 29, 3 through 9, speaks of the thunderous voice of the Lord. And incidentally, the phrase, the voice of the Lord, in these verses is used, can you guess how many times? Seven times, yes, seven times. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon with His voice. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon, and uh, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. That's weird. The strip... And it strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. Again, Joel 2, 10 through 11, speaks of the day of the Lord, which is the same time frame that we're dealing with right now in, 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 uh, in Revelation 10. In Joel 2, uh, verse 10, he says this, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. We've seen this language. The, the Lord gives voice before his army. The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes His word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And again, without belaboring the point, it is worth mentioning, in John 12, verse 28, there was this voice. Jesus said, Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, words, and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, listen, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I... I am lifted up from the earth. I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said signifying of what death he would die. God's voice was like thunder in John 12. And interestingly, the the Jews saw that as being akin to angels' voice, voices. It sounded like thunder. Angels are mentioned. There are many other references to the thunderous voice of God. So the voices of the seven thunders said words. We know this because John was about to write down what he heard them say. You know, he's going to write down the words. That's what he's been doing all along, transcribing, writing things down. Write this down. Write. This. So he hears these words and he starts to write them. But a voice from heaven stops him and says to John, don't write it down. Not those words. Reminds me of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. 
some similarities here. When Paul was called up to the third heaven and heard words not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul heard words from heaven that the Lord said, don't tell anybody about them. John heard words from heaven, these thunderous words, and the Lord said, don't write them down. I wonder what was being said. And honestly, there's been volumes written about it. I mean, go Google it. What did the seven thunders say? There's so much speculation on what the seven thunders said, which is really ridiculous, because Jesus said, uh, the, the, the voice from heaven said, don't write it down, because I don't want anybody to know what was said. And yet people are going to guess. You know, if, I'm telling you, if God conceals a matter, it's concealed, you know. It's just concealed. It's concealed. So, so he said, don't, don't write those down. I don't want anybody to know what those words were at this time. Now, again, Mr. points something out. I think this is cool, and it's, it's worth mentioning. You know, there's a school of thought called cessationism. People who don't believe that God still works miraculously. I mean, signs, miracles, wonders, like stuff like that ceased with the death of the apostles and with some of their latter converts. In other words, you had to be like really close. They, they won't say that it was the death of the apostles because miracles took place through other men besides the apostles in the first church. So you have to say whoever they authorized and deputized, miracles could take place through them, but somewhere down the line it all got cut off. So nobody speaks in tongues. Nobody expects to be healed. The gifts of the Spirit don't move, working of uh, you know, signs and wonders. All that stuff, doesn't, it doesn't take place. It ceased. It ceased. It's a school of thought. There's a theological school of thought that speaks along these lines. And their idea comes from 1 Corinthians 13 that says, When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will cease. Are you with me? You with me? I'm not, I'm not putting you to sleep, am I? I'm trying. We just got a few more minutes left. So, when that which is perfect has come, they say, that which is in part will cease. And, and they say, that's what the word says, but they say that means that that. When the Bible is finally all put together, when it's canonized, there will be no need for the gifts of the Spirit. And so tongues, the interpretation of tongues, prophecy, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, the gift of faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles, they will all stop once the Bible is compiled and finally put together. And if you really get technical, some of the guys along this line, some of the best minds in this school of thought will say that probably around the 120s, uh, maybe around Corinth, somewhere in there, it all stopped. Which is, I've told you before, just, it's just got to be terrible to be the last guy that spoke in tongues. And you want to tell somebody about your experience with the Lord, and how awesome it was, and the Spirit just flowed through you, and you spoke in other tongues, or you were healed miraculously, and how awesome that was. And they say, I want that. And you say, I'm sorry. It's, it's done. Here. You can have this, though. Now, this is good, but it's ridiculous that you have to choose between this and the moving of the Spirit. That the Spirit moves as He wills, you know what I mean? And so to say, well, no, the Spirit no longer wills to move that way. So what happens is people don't have faith to accept and to receive what the Spirit is giving. They've cut themselves... 
You know, Jesus is the one that said, you make the word of God of none effect by your tradition. The word is not as powerful to, as tradition is what Jesus said. People say, I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. That person will not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. They need to open. They've closed themselves. They've got to open. So anyhow, cessationists have this point of view. Missler points something out. It's just food for thought. It's interesting, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point. All that God said to his prophets has not been completely recorded. Seven thunders spoke to John. And he went to write them down. The Lord said, no, not yet. In other words, there's still more that was spoken to the prophets that we're going to find out about one day. The half has not been told. That's what I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to walk in there one day like the Queen of Sheba. She walked into Solomon's arrangement, and she looks around, and she said, I heard, you know, but the half has not been told. She fainted. She lost her spirit. She fainted when she comes to, you know, they're blowing on her. Oh, honey, are you okay? She's like, this is incredible. It reminds me of when Job had his final encounter with the Lord, and he said, I I heard about you, but now my eyes have seen, you know. There's some stuff we're going to learn about. All that the Lord spoke to the prophets has not been recorded. Now, we have all the Bible we need. I'm not saying we don't have enough Bible. We have all the Bible we need. In one way, you can argue that the canon of Scripture is fully and perfectly complete. But in another way, you could argue and say there's still more to be included one day. It's sealed up for a later time. So the point is this. Of course the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased. Are you silly? No way. Now, the, the point is almost moot because in 1 Corinthians 13, it's not speaking of the canonized Bible that is that which is perfect coming. It's speaking of the stuff that we're looking at here in the book of Revelation, the consummation of all things. When everything wraps up, when the rapture takes place, when we have a glorified body, when we know as we are known. Until then, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Secret things belong to the Lord. The things He's revealed belong to us and our children forever. And so these seven thunders, fascinating. I just wonder why God put it in there, you know? Maybe He put it in there so we could come to this conclusion Everything that you spoke has not been written down yet. And so, of course, the gifts of the Spirit are still flowing. I don't know. But it is fascinating. He's like, don't write that down. Now, verses 6 through 7. And swore by him. So, so the angel looks to heaven, raises his hand, and, and swears by him who lives forever and ever. So this is not Christ swearing by Christ. This is an angel swearing by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that, they should, that there should be delay no longer. The, the old King James is uh, that time would be no more, but it's, it's a delay. It's not the idea of time no longer exists, but there would be no more delay. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants as the, 
the prophets. They serve as the prophets. Here's another reason I don't think this is Jesus. The angel lifts his hand and swears a solemn oath by him who lives forever and ever. I know God swore by himself with Abraham when he said, you're forever a priesthood to his son after the order of Melchizedek and in some other places. But this is an angel swearing that there would be no more delay. And if you'll remember, there has been a delay. We're in the middle of a delay. A delay between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. But now he's saying it's time to move forward. And when we, when we go from here, there's no turning back. And when the seventh trumpet sounded, it says the mystery of God would be finished. Finished. Now, what mystery? Now, it's interesting to note that this mystery, he says it, has been declared to his servants, the prophets. In, in biblical vocabulary, a mystery isn't something no one knows. A mystery is something no one could know unless it was revealed to him. If you could know it by intuition or personal investigation, it's not a Bible mystery because mysteries must be revealed. There's something that can be known and still be a mystery in the biblical sense. In other words, the pro- this goes back to the prophets. You look throughout the Old Testament, you see all these far out things that the prophets said. The lion would lay down with the lamb. A kid would play on, on the nest of a serpent. No damage, no harm done. What's that speaking of? Well, a time when the curse is reversed. and Things shift. There's no more death. No sickness, no disease. Mysterious things that are about to be fulfilled. The plan getting up to that. The restitution, Peter said, of all things. The phrase mystery of God is something similar. It's... uh, uh, or something similar, is used for many different aspects of God's plan. Mystery. Things revealed. You couldn't have known it any other way. For instance, Romans eleven twenty five 25 talks about the ultimate conversion of the Jewish people. It's called a mystery. God's purpose for the church is called a mystery. Why don't you stand with me right now? The bringing in of the fullness of the Gentiles is called a mystery. God's purpose for the church, Ephesians 3, 3 through 11... Bringing in the fullness of the Gentiles is a mystery, Romans eleven twenty five 25 again. The, the living presence of Jesus in the believer is called the mystery of God, Colossians 1, 27, 2, and 3. The gospel itself is called the mystery of Christ, Colossians 4, 3. So in the book of Revelation, the mystery here is probably referring to the unfolding of, of the ultimate plan of God. I'm just going to remind you Our God has a plan. It may look like, and sometimes it does, look like our world's going nuts. I mean, socially, morally, politically. Look at the climate of the United States of America. Look at the shifting climate around the world. Things have changed so much. And and I'm just telling you, like, I'm 52 years old. Ain't nothing the same from the time I was a kid. It's radically shifted, radically changed. And sometimes we say, where are you, God? I'm telling you, God has a plan. 
My job is not to figure out what's going on in the world. My gosh, my job is to stay faithful to the one who called me out of darkness into this marvelous light. You know what I mean? He's got it all in control. Nothing is a shock and a surprise to him. He's like, it's all going to work out, Donovan. It's all going to work out, church. I've got everything under control. I just want to walk faithful and, and, and walk humbly before him because I believe one day soon there is a trumpet that is going to sound from the lips of an angel and there's going to be a voice and, and we're going to be called up. Come on up here higher. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. And all this is going to go down. But we're going to be on that mezzanine looking down saying, wow, the plan of God is coming together. I mean, from the fall of man to the call of Abraham, to from the fall of man through the flood of Noah to the call of Abraham to the call of Isaac and Jacob and, and, and Joseph and then out of the exodus with Moses and Joshua and the prophets and eventually on into the ministry of Jesus and then the church and that gap but that, that clock is going to start ticking again when our feet leave this earth in the plan of God we'll move on to the day to the day no man knows the day nor the hour everything is on his clock and you think he can't handle your situation you think he can't provide for your need we get all oh how can you handle this God he can handle it lift your hands to him right now thank you Jesus Father we're not in this alone you're on our side those mighty angels we read about here in the book of Revelation they're fighting for us there's more with us than are against us the forces that are with us are greater than the forces that are against us God, you're going to wrap it all up one day. I'm going to trust you now. I'm going to put my life into your hand now. I'm going to surrender my life to you now. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Hallelujah. That needs to be somebody's confession tonight. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.